0: St. Anne's Orthodox Church presents In Heaven and on Earth Recordings of the classes, talks, and retreats given by Father Daniel Greason, priest at St. Anne's Orthodox Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Here is Father Daniel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who loves mankind with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of your gospel teachings. And plant also in us the fear of your blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as well-pleasing unto you. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ your God, and unto you do we ascribe glory together with your Father, who is from everlasting, and your all-holy good and life creating spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. So we are in our eighth class on the Divine Liturgy. Uh, we're basically going through the Divine Liturgy and talking about aspects of the Divine Liturgy as a way to... Um, basically hang uh, a discussion of the orthodox faith by looking actually at what we one of the primary things that we do which is to offer uh, the eucharist uh, the rite of thanksgiving the sacrifice uh, of our lord and so we've been walking through each section and sometimes we kind of take a second and look laterally or kind of go uh, a little bit broader to be able to get the context Uh, because the liturgy presumes the entire tradition of the temple, of the Old Testament, of early Christianity, and a lot of us, um, this is new things for us. So uh, let's see, last week we were discussing basically the whole section from the Tresagion up to the homily. Um, So we were discussed a little bit, less than I would like to, but we need to keep moving. Uh, This might be something that we come back to, which is the discussion of The role of scripture in the life of an orthodox christian and looking at different ways to incorporate scripture uh practices of reading scripture uh the role of scripture in like theology those kind of things but it's kind of beyond what i would like for us uh to do in a kind of introductory class um plus that would require me to do a lot more preparation than what i have for what we're doing right now uh so maybe in the future so keep that in your back Pocket. Um, so we're gonna start tonight uh, right after the homily, we have the litany of a fervent supplication. Uh, and this is actually a rather ancient litany. Uh, litanies in general in the church, a lot of these have very ancient pedigrees uh attached to them. We at least have um some reference to after the sermon there being a litany from at least justin martyr which is about second century and why do you think that we call it the litany of fervent supplication oh this book is wrong no it's right sorry now i see why it's right why do we call it fervent supplication you're supplicating fervently cuz you're supplicating fervently is there anything in the in the service that gives evidence to the fervency is it think you start saying lord have mercy three times mm, yes the fervency uh we also have this um so yes fervency three times right as once we get to our uh fourth litany here uh we start saying lord have mercy times 3 uh, this remind, reminds you, during a, a, uh, the Great Vespers served at a vigil for a feast, you'll have the Lati, which is the prayers that we come into the Narthex to do, and we'll do these long, elaborate, Lord have mercies, uh, kind of an echo somewhat of that. Uh, we can already see at the very beginning of this litany uh, something that doesn't start any other litany, but this let us say with all our soul and with all our mind, this kind of like churning inward to ourselves to say let's uh really be serious about this uh and then O lord almighty the god of our fathers we pray to hear us and have mercy have mercy on us O god according to thy great mercy we pray to hear us and have mercy it's kind of a, a long uh three uh kind of in more intense more intense more intense and then we begin um these prayers uh that are specific Uh, They um, have some of what we have already done in the Great Litany, uh, but there's something uh, about these that's a little more personalized. For example, this is the litany where we begin doing specific prayers for those who have passed and those who are living but are suffering or other things. Um, This is also the litany uh, that if we were to, you could call it the augmented litany, this is a litany where uh, the church has uh, basically given us the space after this litany uh, for, again, we pray for mercy, life, peace, health, salvation, visitation for the servants of God, blank. Uh, right after that litany, uh, there are litanies that we can introduce into the text. Uh, we don't always do that here, but I might give you an example. Um These are occasional petitions that you may put into the augmented litany. So, for example, uh, the Synod might, for example, on Sunday for life, there might be a litany uh, about uh, abortion, those who have suffered uh, from uh, procuring an abortion for life, for the land to protect life, those kind of prayers. Or, for example, uh, here's a prayer that can be added to the augmented litany for the sick. O physician of souls and bodies, with compunction and broken hearts, we fall down before thee and cry. Heal the sickness, heal the passions of soul and body of thy servants' names. And in thy loving kindness, pardon all their sins, whether voluntary and involuntary, quickly raising them up from their bed of sickness, we pray thee, hearken and have mercy. Has anyone ever heard any of these additional petitions being used? We might have an example for persecuted Christians. I know at the beginning of October there uh, was uh, in the OCA there was the OCF um, Sunday, which is basically for college students, and that could have been an appropriate time to put a prayer in there. You've you've heard an I think, additional? I think, it, I think they put it in there in Franklin. They do one for the persecuted Christians in the Middle East, right? It, Saving nation, yes. Uh, the Antiochian Church, partly because that one of their metropolitans is still. Um, maybe, uh, is uh, missing or was kidnapped by ISIS. I can't remember now. It's been eight, nine years. It's been a really long time. They still don't know what is going on with him. At at St. Vlad's, we had him in the litanies for the whole time that I was there. Um, Part of the reason is because his brother is the patriarch. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, what's, what do you think is a difference between the Great Litany and then this Litany of Fervent Supplication? Anything? I really think the Great Litany, as I was talking about, is kind of has this cosmic horizon is very large, and this one has the horizon gets a little bit smaller and is really uh, punctuated and specific um what happens during this litany is uh an action with the antimentian uh i've talked about the antimentian does everyone know what the antimentian is i'm afraid i do not sir. that's okay have you ever been to an orthodox church before a couple of times a couple of times well that is okay for you not to know what an antimentian is because i bet somebody else in here doesn't know what an antimentian is yeah okay Mostly because I'm using a Greek word, but there really isn't another word that I know to use it for it. I'm sure there's a Slavonic word, but I don't know it. Uh, Remember how I was talking about epitrahelion, Like some of these other words that we use, they're really kind of basic meanings. Can you guess what uh, antimentium means? Instead of a table. (laughs) In place of a table. So this is the antimentium fully uh, open here. I'll show you. This is what it would look like, so you can get a better idea of what the iconography that might be on it. Um, Tim, I think this actually comes from a Byzantine Catholic antimension, but it looks familiar. uh, (laughs) But this is basically uh, what you have on antimension. What is uh, on the antimension? What is the icon that's on the antimension? Can you see it? Is that a little small? is the deposition of christ having been taken off the cross and as he's about to be wrapped in new cloths or new linens uh you have mary and you have joseph arimathea and others around Uh, i will tell the significance of that uh, you will realize uh, once we get to the end of the great entrance uh this is it uh opened up. Right before the gospel reading at least, I like to, the Antimentium is um, within another uh, basically piece of fabric. It's called the Illaton as a kind of protective cover over the Antimentium because the Antimentium has something actually uh, special about it. What is on the Antimension, uh that makes it the Antimentium? The Bishop's signature. The Bishop's signature is on the Antimentium. Uh, I think here you can see where you have a seal and you have a date and things on this example. Uh, This signature is usually somewhere down here. Um, Now, the reason for this is the Antimentian has the signature of the bishop because it is the primary celebrant of the liturgy for the Orthodox Church. It's not actually the priest, but it's the bishop, but because of the realities of how many Christians and churches and things. Over time, basically, uh, the bishop uh, would give these Antimentians. The Roman Catholic Church doesn't have an Antimentians, but they have something along this line that has the same kind of, like, you have the permission or the authority to serve uh, the liturgy uh, from the permission of the bishop. So the uh is, you can't do a liturgy without an Antimentium, because this is basically your blessing to do an uh, to do a liturgy. Um, I'm of course not talking about like extreme situations like gulag liturgies or something like that that did occur, so let's just not even <laughs> in normal day to day realities. Uh, you would not be able to serve a liturgy without the antimension. Uh, the antimension um, never moves off of the uh altar, it is. Basically, the illeton is opened up, and when we are in the litany of fervent supplication, uh, when we remember the Metropolitan and the Archbishop, you might see the the priest, either before or right after this, his head bobbed down, because he's kissing uh, the name where uh, the, the bishop has signed uh, because you have now taken the lower part of the Intermentian opening it. There's a kind of all this long process of opening the Intermentian that occurs. Um, what happens after the litany of fervent supplication? Sorry, I to, there's one thing I want to talk about the is, uh You can get the example. I've talked about the bishops and then they're kind of dividing out into parishes. And the best example of this is actually Rome because Rome... Uh, up until I think the 7th century basically had uh, one liturgy where the things were, uh, the gifts were consecrated, and then deacons would take the gifts that had been consecrated and then distributed them to the communities in Rome. So there was always one, like, it was very intimately tied into the Bishop of Rome uh, for a long time, for centuries, that uh, there's one table, one cup, uh, one bread, one body. Um, so what happened very quickly in the East is there was a whole lot of churches and a whole lot of people. So the one bishop was not able to serve a liturgy for every single, you know, uh, community. The the silent prayer is a kind of uh, just accept this. The priest says, O oh Lord our God, accept this fervent supplication of thy servants, and have mercy on us according to the multitude of your mercy. Send down the bounties v- upon us and upon all thy people who await thy rich mercy that comes from thee. So a pretty kind of a repetition of the litany that we've had. That's a pretty picture. Let's see here. After the fervent supplication, I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time on this. Sundays, we do not do the litany for the departed. Why do we not do the litany for the departed on Sundays? I think I mentioned that last week. Did I? Talk about it. Maybe it's another class. Tim? Because it commemorates the resurrection. Because Sundays, Sunday commemorates the resurrection. Well, shouldn't we remember the dead on the day of the resurrection? So, Saturdays are actually dedicated to the commemoration of the dead. Can you imagine a bigger picture reason as to why Saturday is commemoration of the dead? Jesus is these two? Yes, Holy Saturday. So, every weekend in the Orthodox Church is, in a sense, Easter. Because it's it has the same kind of structure. So Holy Saturday is basically every Saturday has an element where. So if we're going to have a liturgy on a Saturday, um, unless it was uh, there's a few times where we will you do not have uh, the litany for the departed, um, but you very specifically on Saturdays if you're having a liturgy will do the litany for the departed. Um, There are particular soul Saturdays uh, that are before before Lent, during Lent, and then uh, the Saturday before Pentecost, and then there's another Saturday in the fall that is slipping my mind right now. Uh, These are Saturdays that are kind of elevated to be like days to do it if you don't do liturgies on Saturdays. And then there's also times where we do not do memorials or say any kind of chasagans or prayers or panahitas. And that is from basically Lazarus Saturday to Sunday of St. Thomas. There are no memorial services done. On Feast of our Lord, on the Dormition of Theotokos and Pentecost, there is no memorial services offered. You can see in the prayers, uh, this is basically the litany that we would have at every uh, shortened form of what we call the Panahita here, the Lati. Basically praying for the repose of the souls of those who depart this life, then we have the prayer uh, that God will give rest to the souls of the departed servants and pardon their sins. I don't want to spend too much time on that litany just because we are shorter on time than normal. Uh, after typical Sunday morning, uh, then we will do the litany for the catechumens. Um, what is a catechumen? Somebody who wants to join the church. Somebody who wants to join the church, somebody who's a learner. Uh, so in the ancient church, catechumens, if you wanted to join the church, you had to become a catechumen. Uh, this kind of presents a question mark for us in these days when you have, for example, Tim is a catechumen, but he was Roman Catholic. Uh, he's a Christian. So there's this kind of oddness about the way that we use the catechumenate now, because historically the catechumen was made... Uh, for all those who are coming in to the church from paganism, from uh, a very different, uh, and this was a process of learning, and it wasn't just where they said, here, here's the Old Testament, and here's some epistles of Paul, and here's a gospel. Um, A lot, if you look at the second and third centuries, the catechesis and the catechumenate were very much uh, bound up in how you live, and your sponsors were actually people who could vouch for how you live. whether or, not, uh, uh, you know, or or whether or not you were an adulterer, whether or not you were know, uh, lying about how you make your money or like the amount of money that you make or like your greedy I mean, all these kinds of things. Uh, the Catechumenate was a, a way of kind of forming uh, people to be ready to enter into the church. Um, this Lent is even structured in a way, you can see all the remnants of the ancient way in which we would receive people into the church during Lent. Uh, you'll have, at the middle of Lent, the specific prayers that are added during pre-sanctified liturgies. Uh You will have uh, the singing as many as have been baptized on, on, on um, Elijah Saturday, uh, on um, Pascha. On these days that you would have had, Holy Saturday, you would have had baptisms occurring. Is also the fact that the, the whole fasting period of Lent was all tied up in the catechumenate, and sponsors in the church would be fasting with those who are preparing themselves to join the church. So the, even the Lenten season uh, was tied up with receiving people into the church. So we pray during the litany of the catechumens, um, basically a whole list of things that we hope for the catechumens, that the Lord will have mercy on them, that he will teach them the word of truth, that he revealed to them the gospel of righteousness, and it is uh, one of the traditions. There's different ways of timing the opening of the antimension, and when we say that he will reveal to them the gospel of righteousness, the upper portion of the antimension is now opened. Um, that he will unite them to his holy Catholic and apostolic church, help them, save them, have mercy on them, keep them, O oh God, by thy grace, by our heads into the Lord. And then we have the prayer, uh, which we kind of, I don't know, we don't uh, how would I say this? We don't always say this prayer out loud here. Well, at least one of us prays it, but you don't always hear the full thing, so I'm going to read it out loud. O Lord, our God, who dwells on high and regardest the humble of heart, who has sent forth the salvation of the race of men, that in only begotten Son and God, our Lord Jesus Christ, look down upon thy servants, the catechumens who have bowed their necks before thee. Make them worthy in due time of the laver of regeneration, the remission of sins, and the robe of incorruption. Unite them to thy holy Catholic and apostolic church, and number them with thy chosen flock, that with us they also may glorify thine all-honorable majestic name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and into ages of ages. At the, at the Trinitarian exclamation there, the, uh, that they may glorify thine all-honorable majestic name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this is where the priest will pick up basically a flattened sponge here. You see it here at the top right of this picture uh, on the intermentium? I wish I had a little red thing. Right next to the blessing cross looks like a piece of bread or something. That is a a, um, sponge that is dried up, flattened, that is used to be able to pick up all the crumbs uh, and things that might, because you're dealing with a lot of bread, and bread that has been sanctified so you don't, uh, you always want to catch crumbs, etc. So, uh, the sponge here, then at that Trinitarian, we do a cross over the Antimincian and put it to the side. One of the things about uh, the litany of the catechumens is that it is always a reminder, there was a uh, you have a question that occurs in the Orthodox Church, say so you're the 15th century and you're in Skov in Russia and your ancestors have been Christian for uh, 400, 500 years. And there's really nobody else around who's not Orthodox unless maybe you have Lutherans and they're Swedes or something uh, who are around. Uh, well, you don't have any catechumens. So do you do the litany of the catechumens or do you not do the litany of the catechumens? what would you do? Do the litany? Do the litany. You're very Russian. <laughs> so we have a, a priest in seminary who taught liturgics would say, even if you don't have catechumens, do the litany of the catechumens because somewhere there's a catechumen uh, that needs your prayers. And if you don't have catechumens, doing the litany of the catechumens makes all your people go, why don't we have catechumens? <laughs> and uh, is a, a basic reminder that the church, uh, and Schmimann actually in his book on the Eucharist, his commentary on the Divine Liturgy, um, is very specific about the litany of the Catechumenate being uh, all about mission and a reminder to the people, I mean look at all the things that we want uh, for folks to join to the church, uh, that he's very specific if the Orthodox Church does not have in mind uh, bringing the gospel to all nations, then What is it doing? Because this is part of its DNA, a part of what uh, the church needs to be doing. The opening of the Antimentian finally here is also um, uh, the sign that we're making a transition. What transition do you think that this might signify? I mean, even just look at the picture that we have. The altar is changed now. What is the focus of the, of the altar? What's no longer sitting in the middle of the altar, but is now standing up to the side? The gospel, the gospel book has been put uh, on its, uh, its edge and is standing up. Uh, and you have now the intimation has been opened up, which, why do we need to open the intermention What has to go on the altar? What's up back there? The bread and wine? The bread and wine, yes. We have to transfer the gifts of bread and wine from the prothesis table to the altar. And we don't put the bread and wine, the gifts, on the altar without the Antimentian being open. Uh, This is helpful if you're a priest that... You need to do these things in order for you know you can you know get there and all of a sudden you don't have the intermention open that this happens sometimes to priests where they forget to do things because you know life happens uh at some point you'll realize whoops i need to open that um what happens after the litany of the catechumens We have this all catechumens depart depart all catechumens all other catechumens depart etc the practice that we do here at st. Anne's I think is a nice way to try and uh, make this have some contemporary meaning possibly uh, historically uh, the catechumens would have literally departed from the nave because you are tra- you are you are making the transition from the liturgy of the word to the liturgy of the table so uh, those who are not a part of the body, and catechumens are not fully a part of the body, um, they are asked to leave. Now, we don't do this anymore, uh, but we do have this nice practice, right, of all the catechumens coming to the Anvo uh, and then receiving a blessing and this prayer. And then we do the all catechumens depart, and all the catechumens depart <laughs> back to their place among the people. Uh, so I kind of like that as a contemporary uh, flourish or a way of, uh, we didn't drop things, uh, but we kept it and kind of made a new meaning out of it. Well, so this has a funny, let us, the faithful, again and again in peace, praying to the Lord. This is the transition to the prayer of the faithful, and this is... The first prayer of the faithful, these are these short litanies uh, where there is actually a long uh, prayer by the priest. Um, we thank thee, O Lord God of hosts, who has accounted us worthy to stand even now before that holy altar and to fall down before thy compassion for our sins and for the errors of all thy people. Enable us also whom thou hast placed in this thy service by the power of the Holy Spirit, blamelessly and without offense in the pure witness of our conscience to call upon thee at all times and every place, that hearing us, thou mayest be merciful to us according to the multitude of thy great goodness. Any comments or questions about this prayer of the faithful? The first one. Nothing, you all are awed by the beauty of this prayer. Have no questions. why all of this language now like about thy holy altar and falling down before your compassion any reasons is it meant to recall the passage excuse me in exodus that you had read to us oh which passage um Moses and the elders are up on the mountain. Uh-huh. I think I think well it's fascinating you have what is it what is biblical language for hosts? What does it mean the Lord God of hosts? The angels. Angels. So we're also about to see right after these prayers, we're gonna be in the presence uh we're gonna be singing the Trubic Hymn, right? Um I think this is definitely one of those this is almost uh this is again a prayer like Psalm fifty. Uh, Or you have, uh, in the Roman rite, you have the Prayer of Humble Access, which uh, I believe is Psalm 52. Not 52, but 50 also. (laughs) Uh, I could be wrong about that, but basically the Prayer of Humble Access, these are these prayers that are done uh, about the holiness and the majesty. I mean, you're noticing a theme here, right, Uh, that you already got from the Tesagion, that we already have uh in preparation for the the little entrance uh that we're in and now in the altar and we're kind of even kicking into a different gear and moving even closer uh into the kingdom uh as we move to the altar so a natural reaction of us moving closer to god is for us to ask for him to have mercy upon us (laughs) cleanse us of our sins uh and clothe us with the power of the holy spirit so that we may blamelessly without offense call upon him the next prayer of the faithful again and oftentimes we fall down before thee o god who lovest mankind that looking down upon our petitions thou wouldst cleanse our souls and bodies from all defilement of flesh and spirit and grant us to stand blamelessly and without condemnation before that holy altar grant also to those who pray with us o god growth in life and faith and spiritual understanding Grant them to worship Thee blamelessly with fear and love, and to partake without condemnation of Thy holy mysteries, and to be accounted worthy of Thy heavenly kingdom. Now we are moving petitions for uh, to be cleansed, to be come, come close to the holy altar. And now we also I like the very in the very middle there. This grant us growth in life, faith, and spiritual understanding, and then we also now start to have references to the reception of. Uh, the holy mysteries, and being counted worthy of His kingdom. The exclamation is that guarded always by thy might. We may ascribe glory to You, to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever, into ages of ages. So, we're now at the Cherubic hymn. I'd say a Trubic hymn is, if there's a hymn in the Orthodox Church that people know outside of maybe, I guess, uh, like Rachmaninoff's Vespers, uh, the Trubic hymn is probably the hymn that you would know. Let us who mystically represent the cherubim and who sing the thrice holy hymn, the life, giving trinity, now lay aside all earthly cares. We sing this, the doors open, and the choir begins to sing this and while the choir is singing this hymn which again has us before the throne of god uh but it has us interestingly enough the language that we mystically represent the cherubim that it's us that are around the altar like the cherubim uh, and then we have this silent prayer that is uh the priest prayer that is done um uh, Silently by the priest, because it is basically a personal prayer for the celebrant. Um, this whole um, this prayer and the Trubic hymn uh, date back to at least uh, the sixth century, so middle of the sixth century, somewhere in the five hundreds. It was prescribed uh, during the reign of Emperor Justinian, uh, and so this hymn is sung. Uh, over the priest uh, reading it silently and then doing the sensing and reading psalm uh, and re- reciting Psalm 50, um, there are two other hymns that are sung besides the Trubic hymn. In place of the Trubic hymn, just like the Chassagon gets replaced. Does anyone remember possibly when, Michael? You won't. You probably will have no idea. Tristan, I know you will. Not. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it would be silly to assume to me to <laughs> pretend otherwise. The cherubic hymn is replaced with on Holy Thursday and Holy Saturday. And the prayers that are then for the Trubic Hymn are sorry. Oh, I gotta go to Basil's liturgy, of course. Sorry, you're gonna find this on Holy Thursday. The priest, uh, the hymn is "Of Thy Mystical Supper, o Son of God, accept me today as a communicant." For I will not speak of Thy mystery to Thy enemies. Neither like Judas will I give Thee a kiss, but like the thief will I confess Thee. Remember me, O Lord, in Thy kingdom. Um, the this hymn is sung on Holy Thursday because Holy Thursday, that liturgy is uh, about the institution of the Eucharist. So the hymn then is, since we're talking about the institution of the Eucharist, is a hymn about the institution of the Eucharist. Then on Holy Saturday, you have, let all mortal flesh keep silent, and in fear and trembling stand, pondering nothing earthly minded. So kind of an echo of the Trubic hymn. For the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes to be slain to give himself as food to the faithful. Before him go the ranks of angels, all the principalities and powers, the minidai cherubim the six-winged seraphim covering their faces and singing the hymn, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Holy Saturday, we all mortal flesh keep silence because Holy Saturday, we have Christ in the tomb uh, and silent within the tomb. These are the uh, other hymns that are sung in place of the Trubic hymn. But this prayer, um, I read out loud, is something that the priest reads silently to himself. No one who is bound with the desires and pleasures of the flesh is worthy to approach or draw near to serve thee, O King of glory, for to minister to thee is great and awesome, even to the heavenly powers. Nevertheless, to thine unspeakable and boundless love for mankind, you did become man, yet without change or alteration, and as ruler of all, didst become our high priest, and didst commit to us the ministry of this liturgical and bloodless sacrifice. For you alone, O Lord our God, rulest over those in heaven and on earth who art born on the throne of the cherubim, who art Lord of the seraphim and King of Israel, who alone art good and ready to listen. Look down on me, a sinner, thine unprofitable servant, and cleanse my soul and my heart from an evil conscience and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Enable me, them endowed with the grace of the priesthood to stand before this thy holy table and perform the sacred mystery of thy holy and pure body and precious blood. I draw near to thee and bowing my neck I implore thee do not turn thy face away from me nor cast me out from among thy children but make me thy sinful and worthy servant worthy to offer gifts to thee. For thou art the offerer offerer and the offered, the receiver and the received. O Christ our God and to thee we ascribe glory together with thy father who is from everlasting and all holy good and life creating spirit now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. What is the basic theme of this, or themes of this prayer, which I let me ask this: Who is this prayer directed towards? Because it's differently anaphora, and the anaphora that we're when we <coughs> bless the gifts, we are praying to God the Father. We are not praying to God the Father in this prayer praying to Jesus. Why are we praying to Jesus? I mean, <laughs> in this context, why are we praying to Jesus? You're getting ready to partake in body and blood. We are, you are, but this is the, the prayer of the priest. And I think the key uh, to focus on here is we can get lost with the idea of the priest and his priesthood, but it's not his priesthood priesthood is the priest and icon of? Jesus. The priesthood, the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ, right? Think of the book of Hebrews. I think the key sentence in all of this, to put it all in perspective, is probably right here. For you are the offerer and the offered, the received and the receiver. O Christ your God. Because it's not uh, he's the one who offers himself and is the one, and he is the content of that offering. Uh, I don't like this received and receiver and received. That is not the language that I am used to. The What is... Uh, the, the, what I'm used to is, for thou thyself art he that offers and is offered, that accepts and is distributed, O Christ our God. So... The priest is drawing near to basically begin uh, the act of uh, the anaphora, the offering up the gifts to Christ. And he turns to Christ in prayer. And it basically kind of does, uh, in a sense, a repeat of the prayers of the faithful. But now it's specifically about the celebrant, the priest, uh, and his um, role in the ministry of this liturgical and bloodless sacrifice But that it is ultimately Jesus Christ, of course, who offers His precious His pure body and His precious blood. Uh, We have here all of the themes that we've been talking about: Um, the the Lord of the Seraphim and the King of Israel. So, what happens after uh, this prayer is the priest then does the sensing. And while he's doing the sensing, he's um, reciting Psalm 50, Have mercy on me, O God, according to the great mercy, the the great psalm that David wrote uh, after um, Nathan told him, You are the man, about sin with Bathsheba, and all of the other sins associated with that sin with Bathsheba. Um, You have then, uh, after the sensing uh, and the, the recitation of Psalm 50, you have the priest stands before the altar with his arms raised, and he repeats, uh, let us who represent the cherubim. He basically repeats the hymn that has been sung three times, because we do everything in threes. Uh, he then kisses the altar and turns and asks forgiveness uh, of all those present. Um, he then goes to the prothesis table where the gifts are, uh, and he says, lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord as he picks them up. Uh, and then we begin at the great entrance with all the, the um, acolytes or altar servers having lined up, and here at St Anne 's, we do a deep entrance, and meaning we kind of go back further into the church it 's not always true in Russian uh, practice to do that. Um, and here we have picked up this Greek practice of uh, do you know why people grab onto the hymn of the Phonian of the priest as he 's coming through making the commemorations? the woman that touched Jesus' robe? And the woman that touched Jesus' robe and was uh, cleansed. That's one uh, interpretive gloss. I think that's my favorite one. Um, there's always been a veneration for the gifts even before they've been uh, offered on the altar. They've already been prayed over in the uh rite. The commemorations uh, <clears throat> the first commemoration is the Metropolitan and the Diocesan Bishop. And then it basically goes down the line exactly the order that we've seen the great litany and the fervent supplication, right? There's kind of a hierarchy that we follow. It's actually helpful <laughs> to remember things by. Uh, I always like to pray for all the Orthodox bishops in the world because we need it. Uh, then we move to like civil authorities, then you move to those who have died uh, and those who are living, suffering, uh, sick. Uh, then maybe additional ones like for example somebody's being ordained they might someone has a particular thing that's occurred recently or a particular request or prayer and all these commemorations um, the, the end there is a fascinating uh, way of talking about this the priest says may the Lord God remember uh, may the, I'm just going to say it because it's the only way I, I remember it because how you remember things uh, for those who are sick and suffering, may the Lord our God remember them in His kingdom always, now and ever, and into ages of ages, Amen. Why do we ask God to remember people in His kingdom? Does God forget? Why would we use this kind of language? I think it's a fascinating—it's fascinating language. That's not may the Lord God save them, may the Lord God bring them, you know, into his kingdom and may may the Lord God remember them. Does it have to do with St. Dismas? I think you you could definitely tie it to St. Dismas. Uh, Who's St. Dismas, for those who don't know the tradition of the thief on on the cross? Schmemann makes a great deal of this, actually, in his book on the Eucharist about uh, commemorations and memory. And let me actually read this quote from Schmemann. For him, memory has this fascinating, if it's not rooted in the eternal, uh, memory kind of is this tricky thing because it always comes up against death or the fact that you can not remember something. And that our memories are are tricky, and um, so when we're asking God to remember us. We're turning to um, the One who's never going to forget. Uh, that remembering us is uh, well. Let me read this from Shmuel. Here we should recall that in the biblical Old Testamental teaching on God, the term memory refers to the attentiveness of God to his creation, the power of divine providential love through which God holds the world and gives it life. He remembers it so that life itself can be termed abiding in the memory of God and death the falling out of this memory. In other words, memory, like everything else in God, is real. It is that life that he grants that God remembers It is the eternal overcoming of the nothing out of which God called us into his wonderful light. I think what's powerful about the idea of memory is it's also uh, tied into the way that we remember those who have died. Um, We sing memory eternal, right, for those who have died because uh, Schwimmig is very poetic in this chapter, in this section, where he talks about without memory... Once you've died, there's nothing really to give any evidence of your existence outside of memory. So memory is this category that allows people to actually last into eternity. And from God's point of view, that's from the human point of view, from God's point of view, uh, for God to forget or to not remember means that we don't exist. So there is an element here in asking uh, may the Lord God remember all of you Orthodox Christians in his kingdom. Uh, this is a way of talking about, may the Lord God sustain you, may the Lord, may the Lord God give you life. And we, we talk about each individual being remembered in that kingdom. Uh, at the very last, we say you and all Orthodox Christians, and I try to make a point of kind of scanning the room when I say that, because every single one of us is to be remembered uh, by God in his kingdom the priest uh, turns around to enter in the altar and the choir uh, begins, ends the troubic hymn uh, that we may receive the king of all who comes invisibly abhorred by the angelic hosts. Um, we are now at, uh, how should I say this, the threshold where we are within the kingdom and now we are approaching basically the dining hall, if you will, of the kingdom. We are entering into uh, the depths of the kingdom. Uh, The king has now fully come and is present and thrown on the altar. uh, And we have, now I will answer in the next five minutes, the importance of the antimension As the priest is placing the gifts down, right? They are, the gifts are covered. There's veils over them, right? When he's coming through uh, the people. And the priest, when he, puts down uh, the gifts, he begins to recite prayers. Uh, the first prayer that he recites is the noble Joseph, when he'd taken down that most body from the tree, wrapped it in fine linen, and anointed to with spices, and placed it in a new tomb. Of course, this is the hymn, uh, the Traparion that is associated with the deposition of Jesus off the cross uh, that we sing during Holy Week, and it's, of course, the image that is on the Antimentium. Uh, then we repeat uh, this prayer in the tomb with the body, in hell with the soul as God, in paradise with the thief, and on the throne of the Father and the Spirit, was Thou, O boundless Christ, filling all things. This is a prayer there at the end, the boundless Christ filling all things. When He's in the tomb with the body, when He's in hell with the soul as God, when He's in paradise with the thief, He's on the throne of the Father and the Spirit through all of those experiences. Um, and then we have uh, during while the recitation of this, all the veils are coming off, uh, and there's a sensing that occurs because the gifts. Anytime the gifts move, there's a, they are sensed. Um, the the priest then ends with bearing life and more fruitful than paradise, brighter than any royal chamber. Thy tomb of Christ is the fountain of our resurrection. And then as he places the veil back over the gifts. There's small veils that are taken off, and there's a big veil, the air that's put over the top of the gifts. He then repeats the noble Joseph uh, hymn, and then he takes the censer and he senses, and he finishes Psalm 50 because you stop uh, and don't finish all of Psalm 50. He says, "Do good, O Lord, and design, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then that shall be pleased. The sacrifice of righteousness, oblation and whole burnt offerings. Then bullocks will be offered on thine altar, and then the censer is given away and that is basically the end of the, of the great entrance, and we then move into the, to the next litany. Uh, if there is a deacon serving, there is then a dialogue that occurs between the deacon and the priest, which I find actually to be fascinating, and I'll share it with you quickly. Um, the priest turns to the deacon after the laying of the gifts back on the altar. Uh, he says, Pray for me, brother, come celebrant. And the deacon says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. Then the priest says, the Holy Spirit shall, himself shall minister together with us all the days of our life. And then the deacon says, remember me, Holy Master. And then the priest says, and the Lord God remember you in his kingdom always now and ever and until into ages of ages. Amen. And the deacon received the blessing from the priest. What is that language of the deacon says to the priest? What is that reminiscent of? I'll read it. I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. Where have we heard that language before? It's a major feast, and in- it's the Annunciation. It's the Annunciation. Why is the deacon using Annunciation, Annunciation language to the priest? Because they're both bringing Jesus. To- birth bringing Jesus to the people I like that any other guesses? Does it have to do with the Holy Spirit coming down upon the gifts? I think yes, I think that you have in this Annunciation language you have that remember all the prayers that you get from the faithful on that's asking for the Holy Spirit to basically uh, come upon uh, us to allow us to be able to, for God to hear our prayers, to be able to offer these gifts, to be clothed with the priesthood, to have the power of the, the Holy Spirit, and then you have this dialogue where the the deacon is saying, may the Holy Spirit descend upon you, uh, because now we're one litany away from the beginning of the anaphora and the, the kind of... Uh, elevation of the gifts and the transformation of the gifts into the body and blood of our lord there's all these little things that unfortunately you don't get to hear because they're like these dialogues of things that occur but i think are beautiful to know what's going on in the rites and actions of the church any questions we'll stop there for tonight